Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, my name is Bex and welcome to Getting Emotional. Every week I'll be discovering a brand new emotion. Or rather, I'll tell you about an emotion you may well have felt but had no idea there was a name for. This week, it's philoprogenitiveness. Number one, texting, calling and checking in on me just to make sure I was okay. Number two, weekly travelling miles to come and meet me when I was horribly homesick at university. Number three, making a Pied Piper costume overnight out of crepe paper when I was seven years old. Three things from various stages of my life that my mum did for me. Some of them may be little, but they all made a massive difference. And that urge that she felt to provide for me, to care for me, to do anything she could to make me feel safe and loved, that has a name. It's philoprogenitiveness. And its rough definition is the impulse of parental love. The feeling of love that makes you strong enough to move heaven and earth for your child. The knowledge that you would do anything for them. And the strength that it gives you to do things you didn't even realise you were capable of. It's also, you may not be shocked to hear, a very difficult word to say, and I should know because I've been practising a lot and trying to listen over and over again to how to pronounce it from Google, so uh, apologies if it changes ever so slightly during this episode, but um, ju- just know I'm doing my best. Alright, I'll, I'll be straight with you. Uh, my mum passed away a few years ago, and whenever I think of her, I can't help but remember how much she did for me. Her mumness is intrinsically linked to the actions of devotion that she did daily to make sure I was okay and that I knew I was loved. And just to be clear here, as great as my mum was, she wasn't necessarily a clucky person around kids. You wouldn't leave your kids with her and neither would she have wanted you to. She had very little interest in other people's children. She thought they were fine, nice, lovely, but you know she wouldn't go above and beyond for them, let's put it like that. But with me, all that disappeared. If you wronged me you wronged her. If I needed something for school the next day, she was on a mission to get it. Her patience knew no bounds for my problems, for my needs, my trivial issues, my Pied Piper costumes. She was protective, loyal and fierce. All words that, now I've said them out loud, uh, I think also could apply to lions. I never doubted her parental love. She had philoprogenitiveness in buckets. Of course, I should say that this emotion affects all kinds of parents, mums and dads, and that my dad is also a very strong, shining example of this emotion too. I just think it's interesting that my overly protective mum's nonplussed reaction to other people's children, compared to how she would do pretty much anything for me, is a good way to point out the difference between loving kids in general, being good with them, and specifically loving your own. So, philoprogenitiveness. Yes. The word is mostly associated with the 19th century pseudoscience of phrenology. If you don't know, uh, phrenology involved measuring the bumps on a person's head, and uh, supposedly that would determine their mental traits. It was based on the idea that the brain was made up of 27 organs, and the professional phrenologist, try saying that quickly after a few drinks, would run their hands over a person's skull to feel for enlarged lumps or small indentations. If they did, that would prove that that person had certain personality traits or perhaps didn't have them at all. Bit of an awkward way to find out, isn't it? Apparently, the place to look for the feeling of philoprogenitiveness is on the back of the head, in case you're wondering. Phrenology has long been discredited. 
probably not a shocker, but the word has outlived it. It first appeared in the 1840s, and despite it sounding, let's face it, a bit too scientific, and also being, again, very hard to pronounce, it's continued to be used in all genres of writing, and here we are, in 2021, still discussing it. Now, I have no children of my own, so I haven't felt this feeling. I don't know what it's like to feel so intensely for one person that I have, you know, spawned, no, procreate, no, birthed? And I wondered what it was like to have that. How does it feel to have this brand new person in your life? And does that emotion just hit you instantly? My name's Rosalie Craig um, and I am a mother. My little girl is four. Um, and in my other job, I uh, pretend to be other people. So that's who I am. <laughs> yeah, we should say uh, you're an actress, you're a, you're a performer on the West End, on stage, on TV. That's right. I, I, I mess around doing all of those things, yeah. <laughs> I love that you describe being a mum as a as a job of sorts. Does it kind of feel like that sometimes? It's really funny, isn't it? Because I heard, I know I shouldn't, I, I'm wary about quoting um, the great big interview of um, that we just had recently with Megan and the Harry. But, <laughs> um, and she said something about the best, the, the most important job of her life was being a mum. And I thought, gosh, I haven't really seen it as a job. So I suppose that's a new thing for me to describe as as that. I don't feel like it's a job. I mean, it does feel like work at times. <laughs> um, <laughs> not like any other work I've ever known um, or ever sort of thought about I don't know but I also feel very um, euphoric when I'm doing it as well and and you know not that's that emotion doesn't last um, the whole time but I do feel a great sense of of pride and uh, and um, somebody said to me once that when he's his dad and he's got quite a few kids and he said this was quite a long time ago before I became a mum and I said, what's it like having kids? And he said, well, when I'm with my kids and I hold their hands, it feels like I'm on the best date in the world. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, that's what it feels like. Now with Elfie being four and I hold her hand, I'm like, yes. Sometimes I walk along and feel, you know, when you're in love with someone and you hold their hand, you walk on the road, you want to say to everyone, this person is so great. Like, <laughs> you don't know what it's like to hold their hand. This is like so cool that she's letting me hold her hand. That's sometimes what it feels like. That's an amazing way of putting it, because I, I mean, I don't have any kids, so I have, I have no idea about this. But it must be because um, she's uh, still um, a bit younger, I guess. So it must be every day you see something different in her or, you know, every few weeks you're like, oh, my goodness, you are growing up. It must be um, it must be quite exciting for you. It is. Yeah. Do you know, it really is exciting. And I think when she was tiny, I used to think, oh, please don't get any bigger. Please don't get any bigger. <laughs> bigger. And I would say that to her, like, you've got to stop your four now. That's it. No more growing up. And she's all, you know, oh, of course I'm going to grow up. All that kind of stuff. But um, hilarious parenthood. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is absolutely fascinating. And there's still like, I wonder if there's a word for wanting to sort of freeze them in a certain stage because mm -hmm. I um I look at her and I think that's enough that's enough <laughs> you know I don't I don't want you to get any bigger but then of course I do but also how do you hold on to the you know what she is right now and you can't like when I held a friend's baby the other day and I was smelling its head and <laughs> I can't remember what that's like it's just so quick well were you surprised that you that this emotion has come to you so deeply did you expect it or were you kind of hit by it as soon as you as soon as you had her no I wasn't hit by it at all and I think it's I'm very surprised if I hear parents or, or uh, mothers say uh, or fathers say that it was in it was 
immediate mm. because especially as a first-time parent you have absolutely no idea what you're doing so it's just basically survival and trying to keep something alive uh, a person alive and um i think this is with the the world we live in with social media and people posting images of their newborns going completely in love you know head over heels when they arrive and i think i don't know how you can feel that you feel animalistic you know an, an animal response in terms of you need to protect and which comes out of nowhere as much as you would do for uh, you know if you had a new puppy or a kitten <laughs> or something you're like that's my you know i get nothing must hurt it but the sort of love certainly for me is something that grows daily and it's much stronger now than it was when she was first born much stronger because i know who she is and yeah. i didn't know who she was then and she didn't know who i was you know she could she recognized my smell or the sound of my voice but she didn't know necessarily who her mum was but i really struggle with that sort of that sort of modern day thing of going you must be completely euphoric or in love with your child when it arrives because i think you grow together and you learn who one another is and and that's where the love for me personally has developed or does develop over time Rosalie was so fascinating to talk to and described the feelings of being a mum so vividly and honestly. I loved her sheer delight at how small her daughter once was, while marvelling at how grown up she was becoming. It was also interesting to hear how this emotion hadn't just gambled into life fully formed, it had taken her a bit of time to develop as she got to know her daughter. I did wonder though if there were any sacrifices that she'd had to make along the way, or things in her work life that she had to adapt to that had been influenced by the impulse of this love. When they're young, you can sort of take them around with you, but um, and even more so when they're babies, you know, I used to take them to set, to rehearsals, to, to a fitting, to this, to that, and um, it's always a bit of a, <laughs> it's always like a little bonus that a little baby's there, you know, but as soon as, as soon as they start walking and talking, I remember filming something much later with um, somebody that I'd previously filmed with, and they said, well, just bring her with you. And I said, no, no, she's, she's two and a half, now she's not just going to sit in a trailer. She's going to literally run around the set. You know, I can't, it's not, she's not going to just lie there on a mat. You know, yeah, that seems course. like so easy. But at the time it felt like the hardest thing in the world, of course, because you know what mm -hmm. the hell you're doing. So yes, my relationship to work has massively, massively changed. Socially things change. You can't just up and go, you know. A friend of mine who had a baby at the same time, used to carry her baby around with her and her passport just so that she felt like she could just go off and do something. <laughs> she was like, I'm still free. I'm still free. How interesting. Like, well, oh man. Uh, I have a real strong fear of her being in other people's cars. That's a really new thing. I don't like the idea of her or with, with her and her dad, like I will feel sick until I know they've got to where they need to get to if they're driving somewhere. Um, it's travel. I feel really, if she's not, if I can't contain it or control it. In fact, we were in the car yesterday and I was thinking, uh, and my, the way my brain works around things, it starts to go to the really dark places as I'm looking at her. Like I'll think mm -hmm. we're in a car and I'll think, gosh, that, that big lorry could just come and squash that side of the car. I mean, why am I doing that? I'm just, and I said to a friend the other day, I, I, I pretend in my mind before I came to meet you today, I thought, what would it be like to walk, walk around these streets in the world where LV wasn't in it anymore. And she was like, and she has two children. She was like, well, of course you have to go there. You have yeah. to think about it. But I was thinking I'm completely insane trying to entertain that thought, you know, but it's almost that like you're trying to prepare yourself 
whilst you're with them for the loss of them. It's very, mm. I don't know whether everyone feels like that. I'm sure my husband would be like, no, I don't do that ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're really yeah. things. And I imagine performing in the West End as well, late nights on stage, of course, oh. you must have to second guess now. Do I really want that job? Should I really take that thing? Oh my God, yeah. I mean, I think when she was one, I went back into, I went back into the West End and um, I, I think I was in Bree. I, I, I did a six month run in The Ferryman and it was had lots of babies in it. Oh, wow. And I was, yeah, so that was very strange because there were newborns and I was desperate with all the mums. I was like, please can I have your baby? <laughs> and it was just, it was quite strange to think of her because my husband was working in the West End at the same time. So she was being put to bed by somebody else for six months in the mm-hmm. week. Um, and I think I was quite, I, I grieved a lot in that time because I already, I, I felt like I was very, 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 I felt very torn about somebody else doing the bedtime with her, but everyone kept saying to me, which I now understand as she's older, don't worry about her being a baby and somebody else putting her to bed. It's when she gets older that that will be harder. And I go, oh, that's so true. Cause she hadn't, yeah. you know, she was just like, I'm a baby and someone's putting me into bed. And, and also everyone goes, why would you care about bedtime? It's the worst bit of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course, that's also true. They're screaming and, you know, especially when they're four, you're like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. Just get into bed, you know, and stay there. Um, when they're a baby, they just stay in their cot. But yes, I think that my relationship to work and hours, oh gosh, working hours, again, totally different. I feel like I had no idea why parents in the rehearsal room would be like, no, I have to finish, I must, if, I really need to know if we finish at six. I'd be like, what's the problem? Yeah. That they, in fact, they'd never come to the pub. They'd be uh, straight out the door and I'd be like, God, they need to relax, you know. <laughs> why don't they just have a drink? Like, because they've got to go. Time is money, childcare. Um, but again, there's an instinct within you that you think, well, I've done all of that. I just want to go home and, and see what Yeah, I, I guess your priorities change in a way that you don't realise that they're going to. Oh, completely, completely. You know, normally on a Saturday, on a Saturday night in a Western run, you'd be, which 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 bar are we going to? Which friends are you meeting? And I, I I wouldn't be able to put into words how quick could I get out of the Western on a Saturday <laughs> night? I'll literally have be underdressed if I possibly can, and to get home to start the day off with her yeah. because, yeah, working working hours was huge. Like trying to, in fact, the last contract I was on, the City of Angels. They were absolutely incredible because both my husband and I were in the show together and we were saying, listen, it's a bit of a issue in terms of hours and being absent for her because at the time she she was only just three. Mm-hmm. And they were amazing. And, and they did it across the board for everyone. It wasn't like we had a special situation. The director said, I think it's incredibly, she's not a mother or um, not that you'd need to be to be a human. You know, <laughs> she just she didn't have any understanding, but she said, I think we should work, work 10 till four. And so everybody across the board can A, have a life if they don't have a child, to do other mm-hmm. things, or if you do have a child, get back with plenty of time to see them. And we won't work weekends, you know, maybe one weekend out of the whole rehearsal process. And the difference of the work ethic, the parents' mental health, yeah. it was the child's mental health, it was... It was. It, it, it felt like a privilege to to be in that situation. Is there is there one particular time that you cherish the most with your daughter? Like, has there been a moment recently where you've just been having so much fun together, or you're like, yeah, this was totally worth it. This this is the, what it's for. Oh, what it's all about. 
gosh, I wouldn't know where to, because there's so many in the day and I sort of want to, again, like I was saying, just pocket them and go, oh, don't forget it. You know, but of course, how can you live your life like that? I re- I'm really enjoying <laughs> chatting with her. Like we have great, because of obviously living in, the, through a pandemic with her, we've had so much time together and just walking, do so yeah. much walking, so spend all our time outside if we possibly can. And I cherish our times when we're on our own together. We'll have like a day of, we'll just go to the park, but it's just so, although she's running wild, it's so intimate. It's a bit like how I feel the Philip Pullman novels describe about a demon. If they run too far away from you, it actually causes you physical pain. And you know, you hear mm-hmm. parents go, come back, you know, it's just, it feels like that. It's like, don't <laughs> go away, that was too much. You know, don't be that far away, it's too frightening. Um, so she'll just sit at the kitchen table if we're doing like some little making stuff and she'll talk to me all about something that she's made up in our head or then we'll we'll go, let's have a little film and sit down and watch a film. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like growing again and I can't, I'm just nicking everyone else's phrases. Like a friend of mine said, it's like grow your own best friend. It's like you grow your own best friend. It's like you pour water on like one of those crest pots and it grows hair. And like, I've just like grown a little mate. I love the idea that having a kid is a bit like growing a best mate. Um, I did actually mention that to my dad and he agreed. Although, of course, he probably just felt like he had to because he was talking to his daughter. It also hadn't occurred to me that the love you feel is also complemented by fear of them being hurt and longing to spend more time with them. Until we spoke, I hadn't realised how many extra feelings, aside from love, are packed in to make philoprogenitiveness. And of course, I knew that however strong these feelings could be, it must be tricky to balance a career, and Rosalie has a really good one by the way, with wanting to spend time with your daughter. I loved Rosalie telling me how excited she was to hang out with her daughter, to see who she was becoming. And even though her life, and all parents' lives I guess, turned upside down, she seemed to be appreciating every minute of it. It was philoprogenitiveness at its most pure and honest, and it was just joyous to hear about. I hope you agree. So next time you look at your parents, if they're still with us and if you're still on good terms, just know they have felt feelings for you that are so powerful they would go above and beyond what you could ever expect. Maybe that means something like helping you move house, listening to your problems, giving you a bit of cash when they maybe don't have a lot of it themselves. Perhaps it's protecting you from the world in ways you didn't know you needed to be protected. Maybe, like in Rosalie's case, that means thinking a little bit harder about their social and work life to make sure they get to spend as much time with you as possible. Or, like in my mum's case, Maybe that would mean working through the night to make the perfect Pied Piper costume, complete with green and yellow crepe paper, jingle bells and a pointy hat. This was Getting Emotional, and that was philoprogenitiveness. Massive thank you to Rosalie Craig for chatting to me all about her life with her daughter. Uh, And thank you so much to you for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please do rate, review, uh, follow wherever it is you get your podcast from. And you can find me on Twitter at GetEmotionalPod. Bye.